0: CHAPTER SIX OF CHINA AND THE CHINESE by Edmund Plochut. Translated by N. Donver. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Holly Rushick. CHAPTER SIX French Aspirations in Tonkin. Marguerite receives his instructions. Work already done on Yangtze. Marguerite is insulted at Pai Chu. He awaits instructions in vain at Loshan, the Tongting Lake, a Chinese caravansary. The explorer leaves the river to proceed by land. He meets a starving missionary, Kuei Chu and the French bishop there. A terrible road. Arrival at the capital of Yunnan, armed escort from Bamo, meeting between Marguerite and Colonel Brown, threatening attitude of natives. Marguerite Crosses the Frontier Alone, Colonel Brown's Camp Surrounded, Murder of Marguerite Outside Manwin, Importance of Yunnan and Szechuan to Europeans, Whether, as has been asserted by more than one French writer, it was the French operations in Tonkin which so roused the jealousy of the British as to determine them at all risks to render those operations futile in the opening of a direct route from Yunnan to Burma, or whether they were merely pursuing their usual astute policy of making exploration precede the flag, there is no doubt that the tragic fate of the young explorer Marguerite, whose adventurous journey deserves relation here, was fruitful in most important political results alike to England and to France. The French, who looked upon Tonkin as their own special key to China, had meant to take the Songkhoi, or red river which is its chief artery the outlet of the wealth of Yunnan, the english succeeded in making the yangtze that outlet by the concessions they wrung from the chinese as part of the indemnity for the murder of their explorer marguerite's instructions it was in eighteen seventy four that augustus raymond marguerite an attache of the british embassy at peking received instructions from Sir Thomas Wade, then minister plenipotentiary to China, to go to Bamo, and there meet Colonel Brown, who was about to start on an expedition across western China, with a view to open the overland route between Burma and the Celestial Empire. Marguerite, who knew the natives well, and had on many occasions given proof of his tact in dealing with them, was to act as interpreter and guide to the English party. Already the Yangtze, the great river at the mouth of which Shanghai is situated, had been opened to foreign trade as far as Hongkou, that is to say, for 600 miles. But the difficulties of communication with the interior were still immense. So bad were the roads, and so ignorant the people of the districts those roads traversed. What was really needed in the interests of British trade was a continuous route, partly by water and partly by land, from the port to Burma, and Marguerite was to test the practicability of such a route, although the brutality of the natives to foreigners was well known, and much of the district he had to traverse had never before been visited by a European. Even now, as those who have read Marcel Monnier's account of his adventures in Yunnan, in the pages of the French journal Le Temps, No full well, there is anything but a cordial feeling for foreigners in Yunnan, and a quarter of a century ago the traveler who ventured far from Hongkau must have carried his life in his hand, Marguerite in danger. Nothing daunted, however, by all he knew of the perils before him, the gallant young explorer left Shanghai in a little American steamer on August twenty-fourth, accompanied only by one English servant and a Chinese secretary. Arrived at Hangkau, which, now that it is to be connected with Peking, Russian Siberia, and Tonkin by rail, has a great future before it as a commercial center, the little party left the steamer and hired boats from a native banker for the further voyage. They started again on September 4th, and on the 6th, cast anchor off Pai Chu, a picturesque town rising from amongst magnificent trees. This town turned out to be extremely well-built and prosperous, and to be surrounded by well-cultivated plantations, yielding quantities of valuable produce. Marguerite and his secretary wandered about for some time, noting everything, and at first the natives were very civil. But when the visitors approached the quay, to which the junks of the inhabitants were moored, the crowd became insulting, and followed the travelers to their vessel— hooting them and dancing round them with menacing gestures they escaped without injury however and pushed on to lu chai ku where they saw a big war-junk with no less than twenty-one guns on september eleventh they reached lo shan where a halt was made to await a reply to a telegram sent by margaret to sir thomas wade no answer came however and a whole week was wasted, during which Marguerite nearly lost his life in a fracas with the natives. The heat was intense, and but for the shade of the fine mulberry trees on the banks of the river would have been almost insupportable. In spite of it, the Englishman spent most of his time shooting the plentiful game, consisting chiefly of partridges and pheasants. One day he had left his gun behind him to go and call on a Mandarin, who held an official post at Shan as he was being carried in a sedan chair by native porters he suddenly met a gang of conscripts bound for formosa who surrounded him shouting ha ha here is a foreign devil let us do for the foreign devil how the foreign devil wished he had had his stout club in his hand he would quickly have dispersed the cowardly mob but seeing he was absolutely defenceless The soldiers seized the ends of the bamboo rods supporting the chair, and began shaking its occupant about in a most unpleasant manner. With a quiet smile on his lips, but hatred in his heart, Marguerite was meditating a blow with his clenched fist in the face of the ringleader, when his servant relieved the tension of the situation by striking one of the assailants in the chest with all his force. The result was magical and immediate, The brave soldiers all ran away, and the foreign devil arrived safely at the house of the Mandarin. Fortunately, that official proved friendly, and gave his visitor the escort of two lictors for his return on board. Back again in his own boat, the explorer harangued the crowd, which still lingered on the bank, with these words, "'Why do you treat me so roughly? Is this your politeness to strangers?' I had heard that the Chinese were distinguished amongst other nations for their courtesy. Is this how you show it? Shall I go and tell my fellow countrymen how you treat me? This speech, in their own language, greatly astonished the audience, who received it in silence and quietly withdrew, apparently quite ashamed of themselves, the older amongst them trying to lay the blame on the younger. The Tung Ting Lake On September 20th, Marguerite gave up all hope of hearing from Sir Thomas Wade and resumed his voyage, feeling rather out of heart, no doubt, at the silence of his chief. Helped by a strong wind from the northeast, he succeeded the same day in leaving the muddy Yangtze and entering the beautiful Tungting Lake of a lovely blue color, from which the great river draws its chief volume. At the entrance to this lovely sheet of water, is the island of Chunshan, celebrated throughout the Celestial Empire for its tea, considered the best in China, a portion of which is set apart for the use of the Son of Heaven, or the Emperor, and for the chief dignitaries of the province in which it is grown. The lake, lovely as it is in appearance, is of little depth, and except for the clouds of venomous insects which hover over it, inflicting torture on those who venture to navigate it, there is but little life about it. A few towns of no particular importance rise from its banks, but Marguerite did not land at any of them. The natives of the shores of the lake say that the flies which haunt the surface of the water are winged guardians, appointed by the spirit of the lake, to keep away intruders. On the 22nd, the explorer entered the river Yuen, a stream of transparent waters, and halted for a brief time opposite the town Nixintang, where, to his relief, the winged and barbed sentinels of the lake melted away as rapidly as they had appeared. The banks of the Yuan are extremely picturesque, instead of the sewers and rugged paths which generally disfigure the banks of the watercourses of China. The riverine districts consist of well-cultivated land, cotton plantations alternating with beautiful meadows bordered by venerable willows. The farms, too, are clean and well-kept. Men, women, and children seem to lead happy, prosperous lives, and Marguerite was everywhere kindly received. At sunrise on the 28th, the expedition arrived opposite Daoyuanqian, a large, prosperous, but unwalled town. This was the first important place without fortifications, which Marguerite had visited. The inhabitants seemed very independent, and their chief industry was the making of pottery. Every house, of whatever size, was decorated inside and out with tasty vases, serving as pots for the dwarf orange trees and other stunted plants in which the Chinese take so great a delight. Beyond Dao Yuan Xian, the river narrows and flows between rocky gorges, beyond which low conical hills, covered with somber pines, rise one above the other, none of them more than about two hundred feet high, the effect of which is, nevertheless, extremely fine. From the description given of the scenery by Marguerite, it must greatly resemble that of Civet in the Erdin, immortalized by George Sand in her poetical romance, *Melgratou*. An Old Friend The province of Hunan, so rich in geological interest, and in which such terrible convulsions must have taken place in the remote past, was now entered, and the important town of Yupinsian was soon reached, where the drooping spirits of Marguerite were cheered by finding the chief magistrate to be an old friend of his, who had formerly been interpreter in the English legation at Peking. The native official received his former colleague with a salute from three guns, and better still, wished him to spend a few days with him at his own residence. Marguerite gladly accepted the hospitality offered, donned his dress uniform, and was carried in state to the Yamin, or House of the Magistrate, where a great crowd was assembled to witness the arrival of the foreigner. Refreshed by his rest, the English explorer soon started again, and on October 27th, reached the important town of Chenyuanfu, at the entrance to which is a very fine bridge of six arches, which would be considered a work of art even in Europe. Round about the city rise rocky heights, which give it a very picturesque appearance. Marguerite landed near the bridge, for he would now have to travel by land, and accompanied by his own servant and four men who had been told off to protect him, he made his way to a house where he hoped to be able to spend the night. It was not exactly a hotel, but a stopping place where travelers could hire sedan chairs, coolies, and horses. In fact, all that was needed for the further prosecution of his journey. As there are generally several such establishments in every important place, the Chinese proprietors always send agents down to the landing stages to secure the custom of travelers, just as do their brethren in Europe. A Raging Multitude Now the messenger who had got Marguerite to promise to patronize his master's house had disappeared as soon as he had transacted the business in hand, leaving the English traveller and his men in the lurch. It was only with the greatest difficulty that the little party made their way to the caravansary chosen, though the crowds assembled to stare at them. Arrived there they found a clean, comfortable-looking shelter, but no one to receive them the next thing to do was to get the baggage of the expedition under shelter. But to this the crowd outside objected so very vigorously that Marguerite was obliged to give up the attempt. He determined, however, to seek the aid and protection of the tsien or First Magistrate of the town, and to force his way to him in spite of all opposition. He had the door of the caravansary open, and facing the raging multitude outside with head erect, and an air of such determined resolution that the easily daunted Chinese recoiled before him, and withdrawing as he advanced, allowed him to reach the Yamin unhurt. there he found the chief magistrate, who must have heard all the noise, for the caravansary was only some two hundred paces off, quietly awaiting events without moving a finger to control them. Marguerite could not persuade the official to let him remain for a night's rest in the town but he did succeed in securing four sturdy coolies as porters by whom he was carried from chen yuan where he had been so grossly insulted to kuai capital of the province of kuai receiving a kind welcome everywhere en route three days before his arrival at Yunnan, the capital of the province of the same name as the english explorer was taking his lunch el fresco he was to his great surprise and delight accosted by a Frenchman, an unfortunate missionary, who was bound for the same place, and was nearly wild with joy at finding another European in the remote district. An eager conversation began in Chinese, but as Marguerite could speak French, the native language was soon exchanged for it. Marguerite tells how the two sat down to the same table and were to share their meal, but the missionary was so badly off for provisions that in the end the Englishman gave him half his beefsteak, with all the bread he had. Then he had an omelette made for his guest, and gave him a glass of spirits. From the eagerness with which the food was consumed, it was evident that the poor fellow had been almost starving. The meal over, Marguerite told his new friend of the way in which he had been insulted at Chen Yuan, and the Frenchman replied that most likely the magistrate had taken the explorer for a Jesuit father, or a Lazarus, or that is to say, a follower of St. Vincent de Paul. However it may be in the future, the people of central China had in Marguerite's time no toleration for Roman Catholic missionaries, and there was little chance of their doing anything to promote civilization amongst the natives. Had the magistrate looked at the Englishman's passport when the latter first landed, he would have been very differently treated. It will be traders, not preachers of the gospel, who will be the first to introduce European ideas. Even manufacturers and engineers who elsewhere often achieve so much success have little chance in China, for the people are as content with their own systems of mechanical production and their clumsy primitive modes of working their salt and mineral mines as they are with their religion. A French bishop. At Huichao, A picturesque walled city of great importance, Marguerite met an old French bishop and two of his priests who had adopted the costume of the Chinese and spoke their language even better than their own. The bishop, in fact, had been so long expatriated that he had forgotten his own tongue and spoke that of his adopted country with his visitor. In fact, instead of converting the natives, he had become almost a native himself a sad fate for a once-ardent missionary. He lived in a yamin and used a green armchair, a privilege accorded generally to officials of Chinese birth only. He was even called Tajin or a great man, a title reserved as a rule for mandarins of the first class. Though this assumption of native titles cannot but have been displeasing to the literati and officials, the fact that the bishop was left unmolested is a singular instance of tolerance. For what would be thought in Europe of a Chinaman who should venture to adopt the uniform of a general or the robes of a cardinal? Would not steps be taken at once to despoil him of his borrowed plumes? It was now three months since Marguerite had left Shanghai and 49 days more would be required before he would reach Bamo on the Irrawaddy where he hoped to meet Colonel Brown with whom he was to make the return journey, if the Chinese authorities would give the necessary permission. There seemed no reason to suppose it would be refused, for nothing could have been more cordial than the reception of the young Englishman in the capital of Yunnan. The road from Yunnan Fau to Talifau was really little more than a goat track, and Marguerite gives an amusing account of his own sufferings and those of two mandarins who made the journey with him. "'as he was jolted along amongst the crowds "'of carts, mules, and donkeys, "'which blocked the way, "'all alike laden with bags of salt. "'The Englishman and the literati "'had made a laugh together over their misfortunes, "'and the way he made friends "'with pretty well everyone he met "'speaks volumes for the tact of the explorer, "'who deserved a better fate "'than that which eventually befell him. "'It was now December, "'and the cold was intense,' but it was impossible to procure winter clothing, and the travelers had to make the best of what they happened to have with them. As Chen Nan was four days' journey from Tai Bao, the Mandarins did all they could to dissuade Marguerite from going further, assuring him that the people of the last-named town were very hostile to foreigners. But the Englishman, anxious to ascertain the truth about native feelings for Europeans from actual observation, was not to be deterred. On the 16th December, he boldly entered the city of inhospitable reputation and wrote in his journal, Veni vidi vici. He was unmolested, and weary though he was, he remained but one night to rest, pushing on the next day for the Burmese frontier. He reached Manwin, the scene soon afterward of his assassination, on January 11th, and there found an escort of 40 soldiers from Burma sent to him by colonel brown to protect him from attack by the tribes of the frontier districts through which he now had to pass it is very probable that the sudden appearance of all these armed men was really the cause of marguerite's death alone the gallant young explorer would have conciliated the friendship of the natives as he had so often done before but surrounded by his guard he naturally became an object of suspicion Marguerite reaches Bamo. Marguerite did, however, succeed in reaching Bamo, and suspecting no danger, he and Colonel Brown started on the return journey early in February, reaching on the 18th of that month, the last post in Burma, just beyond the Chinese frontier. There, the travelers learnt that the pass into Yunnan was blocked by an armed band of khakiens, whose opposition to the re-entry into China of the white men, if not exactly instigated, was certainly connived at by the authorities of the frontier town of Suray, and also by those of Manwin. Colonel Brown and Marguerite consulted together as to what was best to be done, and the latter, who had just crossed Yunnan so successfully, assured his companion that they need fear nothing, He had only recently been kindly received at both the towns mentioned above, and he proposed with his usual enterprising spirit that he should go on alone to test the accuracy of the various rumors afloat, promising to send back a messenger with news as soon as possible. It was indeed unfortunate that the colonel should have agreed to this rash suggestion and allowed his unfortunate young colleague to go to his death. Little dreaming of the approaching tragedy, however, the two sat over their last meal together till far into the night, discussing the probable results of their expedition, regardless of the noise made by the beating of gongs and playing of cymbals to be heard from the pass, and of the fact that they could actually see cockines spying upon them from the lofty trees overlooking their camp. Murder of Marguerite At sunrise on the 19th, Marguerite crossed the frontier, accompanied by his faithful secretary, the servants who had been with him since he left Shanghai, and a few Burmese muleteers. The next day, Colonel Brown received a letter from him announcing his safe arrival at Saray, adding that he had been well received there and was now on his way to Manwin. The rest of the expedition followed in his footsteps, arriving at Saray on the 21st no further news was received from margery but colonel brown was alarmed by rumours that he and his people were to be attacked and by the fact that the chief mandarin of the place was arming his retainers on the morning of the 22nd the storm burst and the colonel's camp was surrounded by armed men and at the same time letters were received from some burmans residing at manwin telling of the cowardly assassination of margery in that town But for the courage and steadfastness of his Burmese escort, especially of fifteen sepoys who formed a kind of bodyguard, Colonel Brown would have shared the fate of his young fellow countrymen. But after a fierce struggle, he succeeded in recrossing the frontier with no worse casualties than three men wounded. From Bamo, every possible effort was made to ascertain the truth about the murder of Marguerite, but full details were never obtained. The most apparently trustworthy account that was given by a Burmese who said he had seen the victim at Manwin several times on the 21st, once alone and later walking with several Chinese. According to this witness, the young Englishman had been invited to ride out to see a spring of warm water, and that just as he issued from the town, he was suddenly dispatched with their spears. Thus apparently ended the attempt to open the land route, between Burma and China. But as a matter of fact, the death of Marguerite eventually did more for the interests of his country than the peaceful conclusion of Colonel Brown's expedition could ever have accomplished. The English know how to turn to account every incident, however tragic, however seemingly adverse to their own interests, and the indemnity wrung from the reluctant Chinese for the murder of the young Englishman, included the opening of another 400 miles of the great river above Hongkau, an immense step in advance toward the realization of the long-cherished British ambition. The connection of the Upper Yangtze with Burma so justly called England's landgate to China. It is in fact in the provinces of Sichuan and Yunnan that the question of which European power is to have the supremacy in central China Will be finally fought out, and therefore every concession won in connection with them is alike of immense commercial and political significance. End of chapter six.